Welcome to the Center Ranch Church Weekly Podcast. We believe that faith comes by hearing the Word of God. Thanks so much for checking out the podcast. Here's this week's message. Listen, today we're going to wrap up a series that we've been in for the last six weeks. We've been doing a series that we call The Blessed Life, just basing it really on the book by Robert Morris that's called The Blessed Life. And we're going to wrap that up today. And as we wrap it up here in a few minutes, we're going to be receiving a special offering that we've been talking about for the last couple of weeks, been asking, encouraging, challenging you just to be, to be praying about something that you could bring the Lord above and beyond as we, we go into this Thanksgiving week, getting ready to close out the year, a special offering to the Lord. If that's something you're not interested in participating in, no problem whatsoever. The, the Bible says that we're not supposed to give reluctantly or when we feel like we're under pressure to give, but God loves a a cheerful, joyful giver. Amen. So I I believe that it's important to have times where we're stretched in our generosity. I like, I like someone to challenge me and times where we lean in and really pray, God, is there there something more I could do? Is there something to be pleasing to you? Uh, Just opportunities to really focus on father. I want to bring you something above, above and beyond. So we've been been focusing on today for that special offering. We'll give you that opportunity here in just a couple of, of, of minutes. So we're going to wrap up this series today. I want to review a little bit some of the things that we've talked about so far over the last month and a half or so. We started off just talking about how good God is and his desire to bless you, that he is a good God, he's a good father, and he really wants his blessing to rest on your life. He wants his blessing to manifest really in every area of your life. We started off looking at uh, scriptures like Deuteronomy 28 where it says, if you'll obey the Lord, if you'll walk in his ways, and starts to list all of the ways that God wants to bless you. He'll bless you in your rising up and in your, your lying down, when you're in the city, when you're out of the city, on and on. He's gonna bless you here. He's gonna bless you there. God wants to bless every area of your life, but it's always contingent on our willingness, our yieldedness to walk in obedience to his ways. We looked at Psalm 128 that talks about God wanting to, to bless your family, your household, your marriage, your relationship with your spouse, your relationship with your kids. God cares about all these areas and he wants his blessing to be on your life in those areas, but it always comes back to obedience, whether we will trust him. And that's really what obedience is. Obedience is having a level of faith in God's word. That even if you don't understand it, you trust God and you trust his heart that he's not trying to hurt you. He's not trying to harm you. You trust his heart. He wants what is best for you and he knows how to get you into that place. And one of the areas that people struggle with, maybe more than any other area, to trust God with and to yield themselves to the Lord is the area of finances. And so we've been focusing on that over these last few few weeks because it's, it's a critical area in our lives and how we handle that area really affects everything else. We looked at Proverbs chapter four, verse 23. It says to guard your heart above everything else because out of it flow the issues of life or from it, everything in your life is going to be affected by the condition of your heart. So think of the things that you manage, that you watch over, that you monitor, that you're responsible for, all the things that you give your attention to and you, you keep up in your household and your family. The Bible says more than anything else, you need to make sure that you are keeping your heart and guarding your heart with the understanding it's going to affect everything else. And then Jesus tells us 
that where your treasure is, how you handle your money, it will affect the condition of your heart. So it's important that we have this area of our life right. Where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. And we, we talked about that earlier in this series, that the way you handle your money, your heart moves in that direction. So you can use your finances to determine the condition of your heart, the focus of your heart. We took time to talk specifically about the tithe. A tithe, it means 10%. And the Bible says a tithe belongs to the Lord. We took time to go through scripture and see that that's not just an old covenant thing where people say, hey, that's Old Testament. We don't have to do that anymore. Really, when you examine scripture, you see that that predated the, the law, the covenant, it was during the, the Old Covenant, but it's also in the New Testament as well, that it is a principle that runs through Scripture. We talked about how that mindset, when people excuse themselves from tithing because it was part of the law, well, other things that were part of the law, we don't, we don't just throw those out. In fact, Jesus came, and he, he intensified those instructions. He said things like the law says you're not supposed to commit adultery. But I'm telling you in this new covenant, don't even look at a woman lustfully because you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. So if we're going to apply that logic, then we intensify the tithe. We don't, we don't dismiss the tithe. We talked about the importance of the tithe being the first 10%. The tithe isn't just any tenth. It's the first tenth. It's our, our first fruit. We talked about some of the reasons why that's important because it, it requires faith to give God the first tenth instead of waiting to the end of the month or later on if you've got enough and giving him the last tenth. And faith is what is pleasing to the Lord. We talked about how the first part, God uses the first part to redeem the rest. The Bible says if the root is holy, then the whole tree is holy. Or if the first part is holy, set apart to the Lord, then the entire lump. You see that all through scripture. And we, we talked about it specifically in regards to the gospel. The fact that God sent his first son, Jesus, when he only had one son, and the first son redeemed the rest of us. We, we applied it to the way that we use our time. That you're here this morning on a Sunday morning, the first part of the first day of the week, we set apart, it belongs to the Lord, so, so we can redeem the rest of it. God, this entire week belongs to you, and we commit it into your hand by giving you, by giving you the first part. So all of those things are important. In fact, I just got a, a testimony. Pastor Christina, or hey Beth, will you, will you hand my phone? Thank you very much. I just got a testimony the other day somebody sent to me that I wanted to read to you. It says this, I had to share this with you. I'm not proud to say that even though we have been attending church for years, we've been spotty tithers. We would tithe here and there and never first before everything else. But with this sermon series, we've become disciplined and have been tithing first every time. My husband has been having major car issues and hasn't been able to drive his car on the highway. Tuesday, I prayed that God would bless him with a car by the end of the week. I had no idea how that would happen, but guess what he got blessed with today? Isn't that amazing? That's something to be excited, excited about. Praise God. We shouldn't be more excited about her ability to catch a phone than we are about people experiencing the blessing, the blessing of God in, in their lives. The, the, 
God says, test me in this, try me in this, and see if I won't open the windows. I'll take good care of you. And so when we see testimonies, man, it should build our faith. We should celebrate the goodness of God that they took these steps, started walking in the, in the word of God. And just like the word says, he wants to bless. He wants to pour out blessing and take good care. Now, we don't use tithing and giving as a get-rich-quick scheme, but the fact that God says, listen, try me in this and see if I won't take good care of you, it removes the pressure or the stress of what am I going to do? Man, God's going to take good care of me. I can trust. He's my source. He's the one that provides for me, not my job, not, not the amount of money that I have in my bank account. I, my trust is in the Lord. That takes us into something else that we talked about, a spirit of mammon, that the enemy wants to get us serving a spirit of mammon, that we begin to look to material things for what only God can provide, that people will try to find security in money and finances. They'll try to make it the source of their joy and their hope. God wants to be the source of all of those things in our lives. And so the enemy will work to try to pull people's focus off of God and get them to serve a spirit of mammon, which is common, but it is dangerous because Jesus said you can't serve both. You cannot serve God and a spirit of mammon. You can't serve material things. You'll love one and you'll, you'll hate. You'll hate the other. And so we, we've got to guard our heart in that area. And last week, Pastor, Pastor Jonathan did a great job talking to us about stewardship and how we need to be faithful stewards and understand everything that we have. That's exactly what we are. We're not owners. We are stewards. And in this series, we've, we've talked about the giving ladder. We use that as an illustration. In fact, that week, if you were here, we had the, a ladder brought out on the platform just as a visual illustration to help us decide, one, where we are on the giving ladder, and two, to make a decision where we want to be. And that's been something I've been asking you to do. Make a decision what kind of giver you want you want to be. Because the Bible says to give as you have purposed or as you have decided in your heart. It doesn't just happen. You've got to make a decision. Here's the kind of giver that I want to be. So with that giving ladder, we talk about it, that the, your first step on the giving ladder is to become a first-time giver. That's the first step anyone has to take. So if you've never given before, that would be your, your first step on the giving ladder is just to begin giving. Another rung on that giving ladder is where a lot of people in the body of Christ are, that they are emotional givers, that they give what they want, when they want, how they want, to who they want. It's all up to them. It's just based on the mood that they're in, what they're feeling or not feeling. They're just emotional givers. They're in charge. Another rung on that giving ladder is to be an occasional giver, that people give with some kind of regularity, but they haven't yet moved to a step of obedience. And this is the next rung. We want everyone to get to at least this rung. Obedience is a tithe. The Bible says a tithe belongs to the Lord, that it's his. And that when he says that it's his, he also tells us what we're supposed to do with it. He says to bring the, all of the tithe into his house that there might be resources in his house. Amen? So when we understand it's, it's God's, he also tells us what to do with it. So when people say things like, you know, I tithe, but the way that I tithe is I just help my nephew with his, with his you know, utility bill. That, that's a wonderful thing to do. You should do that. That, that's, that's an offering, or that's almsgiving. That's not a tithe. The tithe comes into the house, into the house of God. Now, that's not the peak of the ladder. Beyond the tithing is what we call being a kingdom builder or bringing offerings above and beyond the tithe. And you can't really offer a tithe until, or an offering until you first tithe. You can't give a beyond the tithe until you first accomplished bringing 10% to the Lord. But what we want to aspire to is being spirit-led givers. We contrast that with emotional givers. That 
A spirit-led giver gives what God wants, when he wants, how he wants, to who he wants, whenever he wants, completely yielded to the Lord. So the tithe and the kingdom bill, that's, that's a foundation for stepping into that area where God knows he can funnel things through you. He can use you to bless, to bless people. We want to be spirit-led givers. That, that's what we want to aspire to. Amen. You know, it, Robert Morris tells a story that I thought was funny. He talks about a man that came to his, his pastor and told his pastor, listen, I'm, I'm having a hard time tithing. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling with this. And so the pastor said, okay, well, t tell me, what's going on? And he said, well, okay, when I, when I started tithing, I was making like 50 bucks a week. And so my tithe on that was $5 a week. And that was easy. That was, that was no problem for me. As time went on, you know, I, I've got some increase, got a, some promotions. I started making $500 a week. And so a tithe on that was $50 a week. And, you know, that, that was okay. But, you know, flat, kind of move forward to where I am now. At this point in my life, I'm making $5,000 a week. And so a tithe on that is $500 every week. Now, that's, that's a chunk. I could do something with that. And so it's, it's difficult for me to be able to tithe when, when writing a check for that much money every week. And so, you know, I was wondering if you'd be willing to, to pray for me. And the pastor said, sure, absolutely. And the, the pastor prayed for him and said, Father, would you please reduce this man's salary back down to $500 a month so that he could be obedient and honor you with his tithe? So I thought that was funny. But it's not funny in the sense that that's a reality for a lot of people, that they, they're, they're able to write a check, they're able to tithe on small portions, but as God increases them and blesses them, that they allow the very blessing of God to become an obstacle to their, to their obedience, that they choke on the blessing of God and put a limit on what he's able to do in their life. They get to a point where their attention and their heart moves from the source of the blessing to the blessing itself, and it is a dangerous place. It's part of human nature, and so we've got to guard our hearts. God warned the children of Israel as they're getting ready to go into the promised land. He said, when you get in there and you've got your own home, you've got a nice vineyard, you've got a well that you didn't have to dig for yourself, when you get into the promised land, this land flowing with milk and honey, please be careful not to forget the Lord your God. He knew, he knew it was a tendency that the blessing of God, if people aren't careful, can become the obstacle that keeps them from walking in obedience, and it removes them from the source of their blessing. So we, we've got to guard our hearts and lives as well. And so you'll never really be generous, generous in a way that's pleasing to the Lord, if we don't keep our hearts grateful for all that God has done for us. If we don't keep ourselves aware of how extravagantly, lavishly kind and generous, abundantly good God has been to us. And when we keep ourselves in tune with that, appreciative, God, you've been so good to me. Man, it's easy. It's easy to be generous when you're, when you're thankful for what someone else has done for you. You know, someone just this past week, someone that's done a lot for me, done a lot for my family, just helped me out in a bunch of different ways. Um, text me and said, hey, do you think it's possible that I could have some honey? That I, I, I keep bees and I've got, got some honey. They asked me, I said, can you have some honey? You can have whatever, you can have whatever, you can have all the honey that you want. I was so thankful for this person. It wasn't hard for me to give out of generosity. It, it, generosity is easy when it's flowing from a heart that is grateful and, and thankful. And that's one of the things I love about that testimony video that we saw just a, a moment ago where Austin was sharing about what he's experienced through tithing. You know, he and his wife have done a testimony video in the past about giving. 
And Austin's somebody that I see on a regular basis outside of church. And when we talk about the Lord, it's not rare for him to say, hey, if you ever want someone to do a testimony video on giving, just let me know. He's ready to talk about it. He wants to talk about how good God, how good God has been. When he tells people about the Lord, he includes talking, talking about tithing, something that some people don't want to talk about. He includes it when he shares his faith with people because he's tasted and seen the goodness of God. It's been a life changer. It's been a life changer for him. And when you talk to him about the Lord, one of the things that he always says when I talk to him is, man, God's been so good to us. Man, God has blessed my family so much. He's ready to talk about giving, excited about, genuinely excited about giving because he's so thankful for what God has done in his life and in his family. And when you've got a thankful heart, generosity is no problem. And so I want to take a few minutes this morning as we wrap up this series, we get ready for a special offering as we go into Thanksgiving week and just talk about how a generous, a generous heart is a thankful heart. It's a grateful heart. Would you pray with me one more time? Father, we love you. We thank you. And we invite you to come and speak to our hearts. Lord, we thank you for your presence that's here. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to come and teach us. Lord, I pray that your people would be built up and edified. Give us understanding and revelation. Ears to hear, eyes to see. Hearts that are receptive, tender. Father, hearts that are like good soil. We love you. We praise you. Speak to us, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. If you have your Bible, go ahead and turn to John chapter, John chapter 12. John chapter 12. You know, we want to be generous people. As a church, it's one of our values that, that we give. That's not a center branch thing. That's a follower of Jesus thing. Jesus gave his best. He's our example. We want to be generous people, genuinely generous. I'm not sure if you've ever been in a service around or around a, a group of people that were worshiping the Lord, having time in his presence, and there was a real spirit of generosity that was affecting people. I've been in services like that where they receive an offering, and man, you can just, people just want to honor the Lord. And it's not difficult to get people to give. People have given, but then it's like they're searching for what else can I give? It's their desire to, God, I just want, I want to give. It's a spirit of generosity. So I've been in services that the offering buckets go around and then people are just enjoying the presence of God and people are just thinking, what else can I give? People taking off their shoes and bringing them up and putting them on the altar. People taking off suit jackets. People taking off jewelry, watches, and earrings. People going out to their car and getting musical instruments or firearms. They're just, they're just racking their brain. What do I have that I can give to the Lord? Hearts that are truly grateful. God, I just want, I just want to honor you. What else can I give you? Not stingy and just trying to give the bare minimum. That, that's the kind of hearts that we want to have. Father, I just want to bless you. And that's what this story is about. A woman who was affected like that. And so let's read these first few verses of John chapter, John chapter 12. We'll start in verse one. It says, then six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus, who had been, who had been dead, whom he had raised from the dead there, there they made him a supper and Martha served. But Lazarus was one of those who sat at the table with him. Then Mary took a pound of very costly oil of spikenard anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the oil. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? 
This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. If we take a few minutes to look at this story this morning, I want to contrast two of the characters, Mary and Judas, because their hearts are at opposite ends of the spectrum in this story. You have one person who is, is giving extravagantly, lavishly, above and, above and beyond, taking something very costly, pouring on the feet of Jesus just to worship, just to give thanks, just to adore, to honor Jesus. And somebody else, Judas, who's ticked off about it. He's upset. This bothers him. And not just the kind of upset where you just kind of keep it to yourself. He has to speak up. He has to voice his displeasure. Now, you've had things that upset you before, right? You, you saw something. You didn't like that. You didn't like what was going on. You've been upset, and you've been able to keep it to yourself. But it, for most of us, it's a high level of frustration. Where, I mean, I just got to say something. I, I can't even keep it to myself. Because Judas isn't really a part of this. It wasn't his oil of spikenard. It wasn't his feet. It wasn't his house. He's just an onlooker. Really, this is none of his business. He butts himself into this situation. He's so upset and so frustrated, he's got to say something about it. Giving has a way of revealing people's hearts. It reveals her heart in the way that she was adoring Jesus, and it also reveals something about his heart and, and what was going on in him, how much it upset him. Just like this special offering today, it is a revealer of hearts. Some people won't participate in it, and they'll be upset about it. it it's, it's a revealer it's a revealer of hearts. Some people, it'll be an opportunity to worship God and to honor him. Some people will be upset. I can't believe we're doing a special offering, asking us to give a, a, above and beyond. You need to pay attention to that because giving, giving helps cause things to rise to the surface, rise to the surface in our hearts. So as we talk about this story, what I want you to ask yourself is which one of these characters are you more like? Not who do you want to be more like, but really, who, who are you more like? To ask yourself the question, am I generous? Am I, am I a generous person? Not asking if I'm generous. This is you asking yourself this. You're asking you, am I, am I generous? Just have a moment of self-examination and honesty because all of us can be selfish. We're born selfish. It's just kind of the natural mode to be, to be selfish. That's our, our fleshly nature. Most people live their lives just in that mode. They're, they're worried about themselves. That's who they're concerned with. That my natural mode is to be worried about me. Your natural mode is, is to be worried about you. But when we come to know Jesus, we, we receive a new nature. We're new creatures, new creations. And the Bible tells us that we need to put on the new nature. So it lets us know it doesn't happen automatically. That there's got to be a decision to be intentional, to take off the old self and put on the new nature, which was designed to be just, just like Jesus. That we've got to die to ourself. An enemy of generosity is you. Selfishness. Self is an enemy of generosity. Let me read a couple of those verses again, starting in verse four. It says, but one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, who would betray him, said, why was this fragrant oil not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? This he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the money box and he used to take what was put in it. Have you ever said something that wasn't really what you wanted to say or, or needed to be said, but you said something else to cover up what was really 
what was really going on. Have you ever had a moment like that where there, there was a problem, there was an issue, but you said something different because you didn't want to have to say what the real issue is. Maybe you went to someone's house and they prepared some food. And when you saw the food that they prepared for you, you realized it was something that you had no interest in eating. They, they made uh, you know, deviled egg casserole or you know, something that would be gross to you. They, they made something that's, that's gross and you saw it and you knew I can't put that in my mouth. I, I cannot eat that. Some stuff, you know, you can just like force your way through. You, what, this is something you just know, I can't let that enter my body. And so you can't say that, right? You don't want to say, hey, I find, I find your attempt to be hospitable disgusting. I think your cooking is gross. Your choice of food is, is foul to me. You can't say that. So you've got to say something else to cover that, right? You create another problem to cover the real problem. And you say something like, Man, I'm, I'm so sorry. I'm full. I'm stuffed. I can't possibly eat. Another, you know, I grab something on the way. Even if you're hungry, you're, you're, you're making this up, right? Or you, you say, oh, man, I'd love to, but it turns out I'm, I'm allergic to, uh, you know, when people mash up egg yolks with mustard and mayonnaise and sp sprinkle of paprika, I, you know, it, I, I get a rash. My throat swells. I, it looks delicious. It smells. Oh, man. I've got deviled egg candles. I, I, you know, I love the scent. I just, I can't, I, I love, I'm sorry, I just can't eat. So you, right? You're making up another thing to cover the, the real thing. Have you ever done that before? I'll give you another example. You know, sometimes at our house in the evening, as we're getting close to bedtime, we're just kind of hanging out. I'll notice the way that my wife is looking at me and I'll know what she's got on her mind. I see her looking at me from across the living room and, you know, I know what direction she's wanting to take the evening. And so sometimes I might say something like, man, I'm just exhausted. Uh, I've got a headache, you know, so, something like that. That happens a lot at our house. Um, you know, but th th I'm, I'm actually confessing. This is good. This is, you know, I'm just having a moment of honesty. And uh, I'm, I'm repenting here in front of everybody, apologizing to my wife. And uh, I'm pledging. I'm pledging to make it up to you. You know, I'm believing for a sevenfold return <laughs> on everything. Her, her mom and dad were in the first service. Uh, you, you can imagine how well that attempt at humor went up. <laughs> so that, that's sort of what's going on with Judas here, right? He's, he's got an issue. He's got an issue. He's making up a different issue to cover what's really going on in his heart, right? He's making up something uh, to, to conceal really the condition of what's happening in him. And he's, he's making up a, a fake virtue to cover up a real problem. It's a, a tactic to try to cover up a shortcoming and in the process, make yourself seem virtuous. And Judas wasn't the last person to do that. People do it all the time. They excuse themselves from obedience of God's word, but they try to position themselves where they actually seem more virtuous. And it is a dangerous mistake to make because we, we hide disobedience. We excuse it in the eyes of others. And more importantly, we excuse it in our, in our own hearts and it sets us up for disaster. Have you ever heard a story about a woman? This happens every once in a while. Maybe you, you see it in the news. That there's a woman at a grocery store, a woman at the mall, a, a woman at Walmart, and she thinks she's having you know, tummy trouble or indigestion or something. And lo and behold, it turns out she was pregnant and didn't realize it and ends up having a baby on the Walmart floor or in the, in the grocery store. You've heard stories like this, right? Anybody? Okay, yeah. So, so 
It, it's a thing. And when you hear that, you, you think to yourself, oh my goodness, how could she not know? She carried that baby nine months and had no idea that she was, she was pregnant. It, it, seems, it seems crazy. And obviously, I'm not a woman. I don't know all the things that you, know, you should maybe be, be looking for or the indicators. But it, it seems like a woman should know. And from what I, conversations I've had with women, uh, they, they would agree that there should be some things that you notice along the way that you understand what condition you have. But these women, these women have a condition. <laughs> these women have a condition that they're not even aware of until there is the full manifestation of that condition. They were unaware of what was going on inside of them un until there was literally a birthing, a fruit of, of that condition. And something similar happens in people's lives spiritually, that they can have a condition. And if they don't monitor their heart, if they don't pay attention, when things rise to the surface, if they excuse it, if they paint it with some kind of fake virtue, then they won't even be aware of it until that thing fully manifests in their life and has the potential to do enormous damage in their life. P people will say things like, you know, I would give, I, I mean, I, it's not that I'm stingy. I'm a generous person. I just feel like the church has become too much about money. You know, I, I would give. I just, I've seen so many abuses. And so, you know, I, I just don't want to, you know, be a part of anything like that. You know, I, I would give. I mean, I, I, I would be a tither. I'd bring offerings. It's, it's not that I don't want to. It's just, I'm not sure that the church is really stewarding properly the resources. And they try to position themselves in, in a a place of virtue while they excuse themselves from disobedience. When those kinds of things rise to your heart, don't, don't excuse them. Be honest with yourself why you don't give, why you don't participate, why it bothers you. Because this was an opportunity. When Judas saw this extravagant offering taking place and it ticked him off, it bothered him, it irritated him, he couldn't keep his mouth shut. When that rose to the surface, this was an opportunity for him to deal with the problem. But instead, he excused excused it, pretended to be more virtuous than everybody else in the room. And he, by doing that, he, he let that thing fester in his life. And you know the story of Judas. What, what did he end up doing? He ended up betraying Jesus for 30 pieces of silver. He hid it in his heart. It, it, it ruined his life. He was called to follow Jesus. And instead of this being an opportunity to say, you know, man, I've, I've got a problem. Why does it bother me so much? Why, why do I have such a hard time with this offering taking place? Instead, he excused it. Next thing, he's, he's betraying the Messiah for a sack full of money. You, know, you can see this other places in Scripture, that offerings have a way of causing issues in people's hearts to rise to the surface. And when that happens, we, we need to deal with the things that rise to the surface. Cain and Abel, we've talked about them earlier in this series. In Genesis chapter 4, there's a story of Cain and Abel both bringing offerings to the Lord. So it's the same thing. Abel's offering was pleasing. He gave him the first portion, gave him the best portion. God was pleased with it. Cain's offering was rejected by the Lord. If you continue to read, it says that Cain was upset. He was angry. And God comes to him and says, why are you so dejected? Why are you so frustrated? If you do what is right, won't everything be okay? And God gave him a warning. He said, sin is crouching at your door. Sin's crouching at your door and you must master it or it'll master you. He was giving him a warning. What's rising to your heart, you need to deal with it and get things right. Because if you don't, man, sin is going to destroy. You need to get a hold of this thing. And he didn't listen to God's warning. And a few verses later, he becomes the first murderer and is banished and sent away. 
when we take offerings like this, or just in general, if issue of finances causes anger, jealousy, frustration, whatever negative thing might rise to the surface of your heart, don't pin it on someone else's shortcomings. Ask God, is this something I need to deal with? Don't, don't stuff it and allow there to be a condition that you're unaware of in your heart until it fully manifests in your life and ruins the destiny that God has for you. It says, it says that Jonah, Judas didn't really care for the poor. It says that he didn't really care for the poor, but he was a thief and he kept the money box. He was the treasurer and he would take money out of the treasure box. So when he says this should be sold for 300 denarii, where, where do you think he wanted the profits of that sale to go? He wanted to go into the, into the treasury, into the money box. And so really this was an excuse to bring these finances under his control. And so when we have problems, we have issues, you know, I, I would give but this, I would give it that, we need to be honest and get down to the root and see if it isn't just an excuse we make up to keep things under, under our control and excuse it away. But really it's just selfishness and greed and I want to be Lord and master instead of yielding to the Lord in this, in this area. You know, it's, it's lavish giving. It's extravagant offerings that really reveals hearts. Because if she would have walked in there that day with that bottle of perfume and just given like a squirt, then it, it wouldn't have been a revealer of hearts like that lavish gift was. It's the lavish, over-the-top extravagant generosity that really reveals hearts. One, it wouldn't have revealed her heart because the way she felt about Jesus wasn't just give him a squirt kind of feeling. It was a Jesus, you have my everything. You have my very best. I'm not holding back. This, this bottle of valuable perfume, it's the best that I have. I just want to pour it on your feet and adore you and express how much I love you. A squirt wouldn't have expressed the heart that she had to express. And just walking in and giving Jesus a little dab to rub on his wrists probably wouldn't have irritated Judas to the level, he could have probably kept his mouth shut if she would have just done it in a more reasonable way. But it was that extravagant, lavish generosity that really exposed the condition of people's hearts, both Judas and Mary. It, real generosity isn't afraid of extravagance, isn't afraid of being lavish in its giving. I'll, I'll give you a couple of examples. First Chronicles chapter 29. Verse three, this is King David talking about an offering that was being collected for the temple. David said this, and now because of my devotion to the temple of my God, I am giving all of my own private treasures of gold and silver to help in the construction. He says, because of my devotion to the Lord, because of my love for the house of God, I'm, I'm giving all of my private treasure, all of my gold. And if you, if you read on, it actually gives the weight how many pounds of gold and silver, which when, when the Bible does that, it's neat because it's not difficult to calculate what that would be worth today because you can look online and find out how much gold is per ounce right now, how much silver is per ounce. And if you calculate that, it's over $20 billion in today's value of what King David 
gave to the Lord. That's an extravagant amount. That's an extravagant offering, not just because of the high dollar amount, but because he says, I'm giving all of my private treasure. I'm I'm empty in the account. I want to give God everything, the very best that I have. Why? It was revealing his heart. He says, because of my devotion, because I love God so much, I want to express it in a way that flipping a few coins into the basket doesn't express. I want to reveal how much I really love the Lord. I'll, I'll give you another example. First Kings chapter three, King David's son, Solomon, starting in verse three, it says, Solomon loved the Lord and followed all the decrees of his father. David too, Solomon too offered sacrifices and burned incense at the local places of worship. The most important of these places of worship was at Gibeon. So the king went there and sacrificed 1000 burnt offerings. That, that is an extravagant offering. You could have made the argument to Solomon, like just like one just kill one bull and God will get the idea. He sacrifice, worship, you know, what's the difference? One, a thousand, maybe do 10, a thousand. That, that is a lot of killing. That's a lot of blood. That's a lot of guts. That's a, that's a, a lot of work. That's an enormous process to kill a thousand anything. You know, I, I tried to convert the value of a thousand bulls the way I tried to convert gold and silver. It's not, it's not quite as easy when you look it up, but you know, a, a bull can cost Two or three thousand up to seven or eight thousand. So even that is a thousand of them. That's millions and millions of dollars in today's in today's value. That was an extravagant offering. It tells us why. Solomon loved the Lord. He loved the Lord. He wanted to follow his ways like his father did. And so he was expressing his heart. And you can see that God is pleased with those kinds of offerings because the very next verse is the verse that says that God showed up to Solomon and said, What can I do for you? How can I bless you? What do you want? Tell tell me what you want. When we express our hearts extravagantly like that to the Lord, it's pleasing to him. Now you might say, I don't have a a thousand bulls I can sacrifice. I certainly don't have billions of dollars of gold and silver, but it's not not the amount. That's not really what it's about. It's It's about our heart. In fact, Jesus in Luke chapter 21, just go ahead and read the first few verses of Luke chapter 21. It says, while Jesus was in the temple, He watched the rich people dropping their gifts in the collection box. Then a poor widow came by and dropped in two small coins. I tell you the truth, Jesus said, this poor widow has given more than all of the rest of them, for they have given a tiny part of their surplus, but she, poor as she is, has given everything that she has. Jesus saw that people were were putting in impressive amounts, what might be impressive to most people. But Jesus knew that, that was just a small part that they had, they had an enormous surplus. But what caused him to comment, what impressed him was the woman who, did, she didn't give very much, but she gave everything that she had. And Jesus puts her in the same category as King David, who gave billions and billions of dollars. Because it's not just the amount, it's the heart and what we're trying, what we're trying to express. There, there, there can be people who give an offering of $1,000 and it'd be enormously significant. And there can be people that give $1,000 and it's, it's really not a big deal. One of the largest offerings I've ever given was a coupon for a free Blimpy sub. So it was a summer where I was trying to stay in the town where I went to school. I didn't have a place to live. I was sleeping at different people's couches, living out of my car. Someone gave me a coupon for a free sub. I went to church that Sunday. I didn't have any money. That's what my lunch was going to be. They received a special offering. That's all I had to give. And I gave that a free, a free sandwich. That, that, was, that was everything. That was all, all that I had. 
And so it's, it's not a dollar amount that we have to try to impress people with. God knows our heart, and that's, that's what we're trying to express to the Lord. And this woman brings an offering that was extravagant, and that's what upset Judas. Let me read it again. Judas says this, Why was this fragrant oil not sold for over 300 denarii and, and given to the poor? That 300 denarii was about a year's worth of wages. So whatever you make, think about the amount your household brings in over the course of a year. Imagine writing a check for that and giving it in one offering, an entire year's salary. That'd be an extravagant offering. And she didn't gift wrap it. She didn't put it in a nice little bag. She took that bottle and busted it and poured it out, poured it out on his feet. Just, she wanted, she wanted to extravagantly laugh. Lord, I just praise you. I worship you. You're, you're, you're everything to me. And it says that as she did this, there was actually beyond her worship and praise, there was another purpose behind her giving. I want to read from Mark's account in Mark chapter 14, verse 8. When Jesus is responding to people's criticism, he says this, she has done what she could and has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. That there was significance to that gift that she wasn't even aware of. She felt moved by the Spirit of God, moved by her gratitude and worship to do this, but God had attached another meaning that she wasn't aware of. And Jesus says, she's, she's anointed my body for burial. That went over people's heads. They didn't understand what Jesus was saying about being buried. But shortly after this, Jesus would be crucified, and they would take him and put him in a tomb, and there would be a group of women that desired to anoint his body for burial. They didn't do it on the day he was crucified. They couldn't do it the next day because it was the Sabbath day, but it was important in Jewish custom that they would anoint his body for burial. So that Sunday morning, they got up first thing, and they had all of the materials, the spices and the oils to go to the tomb. But when they got there, they found that the tomb was open, and there was no dead person inside to anoint, that Jesus had risen from the dead. So before that even happened, Jesus understood there's a purpose in this giving beyond just the giving. She's anointing my body for burial. He knew that he would die, and he would be buried, and there'd be people that showed up to anoint his body, but he wasn't going to stick around for them to arrive. He, he was going to all already have been risen and alive again. So this woman had a purpose that she wasn't aware of. And oftentimes when we want to be generous, extravagant givers, spirit-led givers, that God can move your heart to give something, you need to have faith that God can have purposes beyond what your understanding is of what he wants to accomplish with that offering, with that gift, with that giving, with that generosity. And I could give you lots of examples of how that's the case in my own life or from people in our church that I'm aware of what's going on in their lives. Years ago, there was a time where, where things were pretty tight for my wife and I. Our dishwasher stopped working, and instead of getting it fixed or replacing it, you know, it just wasn't, it wasn't in the budget, and it wasn't high enough priority. So we probably went a couple of years with a, a broken, it was just basically like another cabinet that we had. It was just kind of, you know, we just got used to it. Then some people from our church decided to bless us with a dishwasher. And they heard that our, our dishwasher hadn't been working for years. When they decided to do that, in, in their heart, they probably just felt led to bless us with a dishwasher. It, but for us, it, it was more than just 
the freedom to now we can just throw the dishes in this machine and it does the, the scrubbing for us. I remember when they did that being moved to tears because to me it was like a token. It was a memorial of how much God loved me, how much God cared about details in my family. It wasn't just, oh cool, a machine to wash dishes. It, it was like a memorial in our kitchen. God loves my family. He cares about, he cares about little details. I could tell you lots of stories like that, that it's not just the gift. God attaches meaning and significance beyond beyond what you might think is happening, God, God has other purposes in generosity. Just a couple of weeks ago, there's a family in our, our church on a Sunday morning that came with a $500 offering to the Lord. Someone else completely unaware of that felt led to put $500 cash in an envelope and give to that same, same family. Now that person felt like, you know, God wants to give them this money and bless them, but really the, the reality is they gave 500, they got 500, they, they broke even on it. It wasn't about the money. It was, it was God speaking to them that he was aware of everything going on in their lives, that he knows their family, he knows their heart. He's not blinded to the details of their circumstances. God was involved in their situation. That that person that gave the $500 in obedience had no idea how significant it would, it went beyond the value of $500. So when God moves on your heart to give to somebody, to bless somebody, to be generous in some area, to bring a special offering, don't just think about the item or the amount. Trust that God has significance beyond your understanding and just be obedient. When God moves you to bless someone, you start to evaluate. I, I don't think they really need it. I don't think they'd appreciate it. They don't, they don't see, I haven't heard them mention. Just, just be obedient and let God, let God use you. Let him bring certain things about you have no idea what he is doing. That's where faith and trust comes in with this kind of generosity and being spirit-led givers. You know, I read to you the first few verses of John chapter 12, and it says that this, this banquet, this meal was taking place in Bethany, the same place where Lazarus had been dead, but he's no longer dead. In fact, it tells us he's one of the guys sitting around the table. He's enjoying this meal. He used to be dead, not anymore, and now he's having dinner with Jesus. His sister Martha is one of the people waiting the table. And his other sister, Mary, is the one that we've been talking about that comes and begins to pour out this oil on Jesus', Jesus feet, anointing him for burial. If we had time and went back and read the previous chapter, it's the story of Lazarus, how he'd been sick, how he died, and how Jesus raised him raised him from the dead. I'll just read a couple of verses from John chapter 11, verse 32. It says, when Mary arrived and saw Jesus, she fell at his feet and said, Lord, if only you had been there, my brother would not have died. She comes and she falls in desperation. He's been dead four days. If only you had been there. She's brokenhearted, pleading to Jesus. Jesus, if only you'd been here, you could have done something about it. You know, just as, as a side note, it's interesting when you read about Mary, that when you see her interact with Jesus, she's always at his feet. Always at his feet. When Jesus was at Mary and Martha's house and Martha was upset that she was the one left to prepare the meal and she comes in to complain to Jesus, where was Mary? Sitting at Jesus' feet, listening to him teach. When 
what we just read when Lazarus is dead and she comes, she puts herself at the feet of Jesus. The next chapter, when she comes with the oil, she goes to, it, she goes to his feet. That she kept herself in a position of gratitude, in a position of honor. She never got casual or so familiar with Jesus, bored with his presence, always honoring him as master, always in awe and adoration. From that, we can, we can learn a lesson that when we approach Jesus to carry that same kind of humility and not allow ourselves just kind of get familiar and casual with the presence of God, that we always position ourselves at the feet of Jesus in adoration and in worship. In this story, she comes and she falls at his feet and says, if only you'd been here, my brother, my brother wouldn't be dead. He'd still be alive. And most of you know the story. Jesus says, hey, where, where have you put him? And they take him to the tomb. And Jesus says, open up the tomb. They say, it's going gonna, it's gonna to smell. It's been so long. Let me read you a couple of more verses. Verse 43. Then Jesus shouted, Lazarus, come out. And the dead man came out his hands and feet bound in grave clothes, his face wrapped in a headcloth. And Jesus told them, unwrap him and let him go. Many of the people who were with Mary believed in Jesus, believed in Jesus when they saw this happen. You know, some Bible commentators believe that her coming and pouring oil on the feet of Jesus was just a day or two after Jesus had raised Lazarus from the dead. That a lot of what she's doing is expressing gratitude for what Jesus had done for her family. She'd been brokenhearted. Her brother was dead. Jesus responds and raises her brother out of the grave after four days. Can you imagine the kind of gratitude that you would have if, if you had lost a loved one and Jesus restored that person back to you? That you'd lost a son or a daughter, a sibling, a spouse, and God, God restores that person. After you've lost hope, that person's been in the grave. And God, Can you imagine what kind of gratitude you would have if for your sake Jesus raised them from the dead and brought them back to life again? There should be a high level of gratitude when Jesus changes what is dead into what is alive again. In Ephesians chapter two, verse four says, but God is so rich in mercy and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life when he raised Christ from the dead. It's only by God's grace that you have been saved for he raised us from the dead along with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms because we are united with Christ Jesus that raising someone from the dead and bringing them into life is exactly what happens in salvation. That if you're here this morning and you know Jesus as Savior, you've been resurrected. You used to be dead in your sins, but God was so rich in mercy and his love for you was so deep and so strong and powerful that he made a way for us to be raised to new life, made new creatures, old things passed away. If your children, if your family know the Lord, then we should have the same kind of gratitude that Mary had, that people we love are no longer dead on the inside, spiritually dead and on their way to hell. But my children know the Lord. My spouse knows the Lord. My siblings know the Lord. God has worked a miracle in their life and raised them from spiritual death. Now they'll be alive with him forever and ever and ever. And we've got to keep ourselves grateful and thankful. And the fact that you're silent right now as we talk about how grateful we should be to the Lord, you should lift your voice and begin to give God thanks that he's raised us from the dead and brought us into, you know, death, 
Spiritual death is real. Just because we can't see it, just because it's not tangible, sometimes the reality is lost on us, but the wages of sin is death. And the goodness of God, the free gift of God that gives us new, new life, it's a reality. There's been a resurrection that's taken place in every person that's confessed Jesus as Lord. And the way that Mary was so thankful, so grateful, she couldn't give enough. She couldn't express it enough. At home, just pacing around, what, what can I do? What can I offer to the Lord? I've got to allow my heart to find some kind of expression to bless his name. We should have that same kind of gratitude, that same kind of thanksgiving. And so this morning, as we receive this special offering, going into thanksgiving, it should be a thanks offering, just an expression, God, I love you so much. I'm so thankful you raised me from the dead. I'd be lost. I'd be on my way to hell if it weren't for you. I was dead in my sins, dead in my well, trespasses. That's this you week's message. Me Thanks for joining and you us. Me with to stay Christ connected with us throughout the week, I thank you that make my sure you wife follow us on Instagram I thank you that my daughters know you, Lord. You can also out of generosity, out of, out of gratefulness, out of thankfulness. That, that's where real generosity flows from. And so the enemy will try to get us to be ungrateful, unthankful people, because if he does that, he keeps us from being genuine in our generosity. The less thankful I am, the more selfish I am. The more grateful I am, the easier it is. Lord, you saved me. You raised me from the dead. Anything, Lord. I just want to bless you. I just want to honor you. I just want to please you. 